The Blue Gold Report. Irish reporters Todd Burlidge and Mason Plummer get ready for Notre Dame football game day Saturdays only on 1380 The Fan. Welcome to the Blue Gold Report. We were wiped out last week by COVID-19, as was the Wake Forest game with Notre Dame. We're back. I'm Todd Burlidge. I'm a contributing writer for Blue and Gold Illustrated. I'll be joined by Mason Plummer, a staff writer for Blue and Gold Illustrated who knows all things recruiting. We're going to have to talk about COVID, obviously, the big outbreak at Notre Dame. Speaking of recruiting, Notre Dame lands a couple commits. Mason will break all that down for you. Notre Dame is now two games in. We're going to talk about what stood out, both good and bad. And later on in the show, I had a chance to catch up with Jordan Cornett, who is now hosting The Huddle, which is ACC Network's morning preview show for football. Good guy. Been covering him for a long time. Mason, introduce yourself, man. Yeah, thanks, Todd. My name is Mason Plummer. You can find me on Twitter at MasonPlummer underscore. As Todd mentioned, I'm a staff writer and recruiting analyst at Blue and Gold Illustrated. Uh, yeah, had a lot of a lot of big-time news this week, Todd. It all came really quickly. We'll get to everything I mentioned, but as we start every show... Gold Rush. The injury front news looks pretty good for Notre Dame as they get both their best wide receiver and their best defender back. Kyle Hamilton, who missed the South Florida game with a sprained ankle, he gets two weeks to recover with the bye week and then the Wake Forest cancellation. He'll be at 100% for Florida State on October 10th. Kevin Austin, the team's best wide receiver who broke his foot during training camp and hasn't played yet this year, he'll be back as well against Florida State, although his time, Brian Kelly said, might be a bit limited. And grad student, grad wide receiver Ben Skoranek is also expected to be 100%. Notre Dame's win over South Florida marked the 20th straight home victory for the Irish. It is now the second longest streak in the stadium's 90-year history. The record remains 28 games set by the 1942 and 1950 Notre Dame team. Former Irish point guard, little basketball news here, Chris Quinn. He's in the NBA Finals as an assistant coach with the Miami Heat. Quinn played at Notre Dame between 2002 and 2006 and has actually been with the Heat as a coach since 2014. He played for the Heat from 2006 to 2010. Notre Dame now has the longest winning streak in college football, winning eight in a row after Oklahoma and LSU went down in surprising fashion last week. Notre Dame now holds the top spot. Chase Mapletron Claypool, a couple weeks ago, caught an 84-yard touchdown pass as a rookie for the Pittsburgh Steelers. It remains the longest TD reception this season in the NFL. It's the fourth longest ever by a Pitt rookie, and it's the longest TD from scrimmage ever recorded by a Canadian-born player. Notre Dame 2021 cornerback commit Philip Riley decommitted from Notre Dame last week and has since flipped his commitment to Notre Dame rival USC's. Gold Rush. All right, we got to get to this COVID stuff, Mason. As much as we loathe doing so, it really became one of the biggest stories in the country this week. I don't think any of us saw it coming. Maybe we should have a little bit when seven guys were out for the South Florida game. The Monday after the South Florida game, things really took off for Notre Dame. They had 18 new cases. So at the peak of their outbreak on this team, Mason, they had 25 kids in isolation Those are the guys that test positive. Those are the guys that that have the virus for sure. And they had another 14 in quarantine. Quarantine is more about contact tracing. You're kind of waiting and seeing if these kids end up picking it up and become positive. And indeed, that's what's been happening here. So Notre Dame had to shut down practice. It was for 10 days. They got back to work this week. Thank goodness. They seem to have things under control a little bit more. By Thursday of this week, that 39 number I gave you, the mix between isolation, positive test, and the quarantine, that 39 number had become 29, and it's expected to hit 15 by this Saturday. 
That should give Notre Dame another full week to get these numbers under control, as it appears they are. Mason, man, when you start hearing this news, what was your first thought? Yeah, once you throw out that 39 number, that's scary because then you can really imagine why this Wake Forest game didn't happen, right? So, you I mean, you can't go out there with half your roster. Right. That's that's going to be not even – can't even be on the bench. they got to be you know, in a room by themselves. So, it makes sense why the game didn't happen. It's unfortunate, but uh, – I think Notre Dame's this is a lesson to learn for not only Notre Dame but the rest of the country as well how easily these kind of things can happen one one sort of slip up and you have a situation like this so got to be even more careful than before but that's the situation we're in right now yeah because there is no wiggle room now now that Wake Forest was moved from last weekend to December 12th that sort of forced the ACC's hand now it has to play its championship game on the 19th there's no other way around it. You can't play it on the 26th because the playoffs are slated to begin on 1-1 January 1st. So Notre Dame, while it has one more bye week, that's November 21st, all 14 of the other ACC teams are scheduled to play that weekend. So there's no way to stick anybody if they have to postpone another game. So that's a little bit troublesome. Mace, I thought another point on the COVID numbers that I found really interesting. At one point, through this past week, the Notre Dame campus had 41 active cases total. 25 of them were football players. So that was 61%. The Notre Dame coaching staff took a little bit of um, a little bit of blame because they said they got a little bit careless with a pregame meal before South Florida. They kind of the kids were basically doing grab and go box lunch things, kind of isolating themselves. In this case, they let the guys sit together, have a meal together. They think that was part of the spread. Also, one of the players puked during the South Florida game on the sideline. He ended up testing positive, so it wasn't dehydration or anything like that. He was sick with COVID. They think that might have been a problem. And actually, Rob Hunt, the head trainer for Notre Dame, also talked about how they've kind of let the players, it's been a little bit willy-nilly, a little careless in that locker room, Mason, with masks and distancing and that type of thing. They really need to keep paying attention and stay on top of this or they're going to lose a football season. Right, that's exactly what I was just going to say. If you don't stay on top of it and really just take every single precaution imaginable, then you're looking at not having a football season, not able to complete it. I understand you want to have fun. You want to have fun with your guys, but I mean, it depends on what your priorities are. Are you, is your priority playing football and having a season or having fun? So uh, they really got to take a look into themselves and figure out what they want to do because, like you said, you can't slip up again. It never changes the fact that college kids are going to be college kids. You talk about a tough age group, and you know you're you know, you're down at Ball State. You know I can attest to that. <laughs> you know how tough it is. You know you, you feel invincible at that age, and understandably so. So practice was set to start on Wednesday. They ended up pushing it back to Thursday. This is this past week. Um, they did a few things on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday with some conditioning and weight work. And then they actually took to the practice field on Thursday. So far, so good. No new cases this week. I think Notre Dame really, up until this point, has done a nice job of keeping it under control and keeping protocols in place. Let's hope they can get that back together. By the numbers. Four. With the 52-0 whitewash shutout blowout over South Florida, BK earned his fourth shutout of his Notre Dame career. The others are 38-0 over Wake Forest in 2012, 31-0 over Michigan in 2014, and 52-0, same score South Florida, against Bowling Green in 2019. Three, three times in the last 100 years, Notre Dame has had a game either postponed or canceled for reasons beyond their control. Wake Forest is the third. The game was supposed to be played on 9-26. It's been moved to December 12th. The other ones are 9-15 and 01. That came immediately after the 9-11 attacks. Purdue was moved to 12-1 December 1st of that year. Then you have to go all the way back to 11-23 of 1963, a day after the assassination of John F. Kennedy. Notre Dame was already in Iowa set to play a football game against the Hawkeyes. 
that game was canceled and never rescheduled. Okay, recruiting, here we go, Mason. I'm going to throw this your way. Big doings this week. Couple Georgia wide receivers and a couple good ones, it looks like. Let's start with Deion Colsey because I think his story is a little bit more interesting. Notre Dame commit, then not a Notre Dame commit, and now a Notre Dame commit again. Six foot four, 193 pound kid. Rivals rates him as a four star and the number 17 wide receiver in the country. Tell us more, Mason. Colsey was an interesting situation. So he's committed to Notre Dame for about nine months and then ended up calling it. Uh, he wanted to open his recruitment back up. And I would have put all my money that he was going to Georgia. That's what it looked like for the longest time. Right. And then I think his his mother, Yolanda Jackson, who I've gotten to know very well, she uh, she has always been a real big fan of Notre Dame, and she's been preaching Notre Dame in his ear, and uh, that's what ended up happening. He ended up recommitting to Notre Dame, and it's hard to overstate how great of a pickup this is. A 6'4", 205 as a junior in high school, Todd. That, that, he's a monster. Wow, he is a monster. I guess since last time I wrote his name down, he's put on some weight, too, apparently. <laughs> Another wide receiver out of Georgia, closer to the Atlanta area, Jaden Thomas, a little bit of a different build than Colsey. Thomas is six foot two and 205 pounds. He's also a four-star player, number 36 wide receiver in the country, according to Rivals. A more recent recruit, he actually just busted just before we started recording this show, Go ahead and tell us about Jaden. Jaden Thomas, what is there to like here? He has a lot of versatility. He can play on the outside. He can play on the slide. He's really quick. A two-sport athlete as well, Todd. It's, it's yet to be announced whether he will play baseball at Notre Dame, but he, he's definitely going to have the opportunity to, as you can see in his announcement video on Twitter. I have on my Twitter page at Mason Plummer underscore that baseball is a big part of his life, and Notre Dame's giving him that option. So he's really versatile, a great athlete, and uh, really excited to have him in the, uh, in the fold for Notre Dame two big-time wide receiver commits. Yeah, did it surprise you at all that you get two big-time wide receivers in the same class? It seems like sometimes the second one will kind of get scared off a little bit by the first one, but that doesn't seem to be the case here. Well, Todd, actually, this is the this is the third one, and these two are the second and third best. Uh, Lorenzo Styles, he's a top 40 player in the nation, according to Rivals, and he's a, he's a stud, and he's just been making so many great plays for Pickerington in Ohio. Uh, he's going to be a guy that comes in and Notre Dame and plays in his freshman year. These are three top-notch receivers, one of the best receiving classes in in recent memory other than 2020 last year. So the skill positions continue to get better. So that's impressive stuff. What else jumps out of you right now as far as recruiting, Mason? Uh, the offensive line, actually. Notre Dame's going after a lot of offensive line targets. They didn't do very well in the 2020 uh, 2021 class, but the 2022 class, they're all over the offensive line. I just dropped a story just this past week. I talked to Wisconsin offensive lineman Carson Hinsman. Uh, he's from Hammond, Wisconsin, St. Croix Central. Notre Dame's all over this kid. He's a Rivals 100 player. Uh, he's, a, he's a center, 6'4", 275. Notre Dame, Todd, listen to this. Notre Dame hasn't landed a player from the state of Wisconsin since 2001. So uh, this is a the guy they really like to land. They want to break that trend. There's big boys out in Wisconsin, Todd, and uh, you'd love to have them all along the offensive line. Yeah, those guys really like to stay home pretty much, Mason, a lot of times, especially those big uglies up front, those Wisconsin linemen. They like playing right there in Madison, so kind of a tough get there for sure. If you had to use your crystal ball, pull out your crystal ball, what should we be looking for in the near future for this 2021 class? Things are going to happen quickly, I think. Uh, the 2021 class is coming to an end, unfortunately. Um, there's a couple new targets that that Notre Dame should be on the lookout for and fans should be on the lookout for. As I mentioned earlier, 2020 cornerback commit uh, Philip Riley decommitted 
ended up going to USC. So Notre Dame has offered Theron Johnson. He's a, a cornerback. He's committed to Northwestern at the moment. But Notre Dame's very involved in that one. I think I think Notre Dame might actually be the favorite. It, we'll, we'll see what happens if uh, if Johnson ends up committing from Northwestern. Expect Notre Dame to be the favorite there. Okay, Mason, we're going to move on. We're two games in. The Irish are obviously ranked number five and two and zero oh so far. A little bit lackluster in the first half against Duke, but since then, obviously rolling along with the fifty-two nothing shutout of South Florida. There's been some good and some bad. We don't have a huge sample yet, only two games in. I think what's jumped out at me, especially against South Florida with those kids out with COVID and then a couple of starters out with injury, is the depth of this team and how important that is going to be for Notre Dame because they're not done losing players for games. And when you can kind of plug and play some other guys like it looks like Notre Dame can, that's going to be a nice luxury for Brian Kelly and company. It really showed up against South Florida, okay? You lose your two middle linebackers, buck linebackers. Jack Kaiser steps in, hardly has played at all. A little bit of special teams work, maybe some mop-up duty last year. Comes in, leads the team with eight tackles, including one for loss and a sack. Played a great game, got the game ball. So right there, in good hands there, right all the way down the depth chart. Tariq Bracey out at cornerback. So freshman Clarence Lewis gets his first start and does a great job. He had four total tackles, three pass breakups, and two of those were downfield. True freshman, first start, first game experience, actually stepped right in and did a great job. Houston Griffith filling in for the injured Kyle Hamilton. He comes in on the second start of his career, gets five total tackles, did a great job as well. So right down the roster, Mason, these guys, these subs came in and did an admirable job filling in for these starters. It's hard to oversay how important that was. So this is the kind of depth that we've been asking for, uh, you know, covering the team where you could you could see the other teams, the, the Clemson's, Ohio State's of the world have have depth that they can continue to bring on the field that they're confident in. Notre Dame didn't have that for a long time, and it looks like they do now. And, of course, it was against South Florida and where these guys can look really good against a poor competition. But at the same time, it's, it's impressive compared to other years. You're never prepared for it, but we're aware of it, and we know it could happen. And I think our players uh, responded well. Our coaches were prepared, and they responded well. You hate to see uh, anybody not be available, but uh, it's the reality that we live in. And... Um, you know, our guys uh, did a great job. And, and, and it's why we've prepared, you know, so deep in, in the ranks in terms of giving guys reps and opportunities to um, uh, be prepared. You know, I know it's cliche-ish, but, uh, you know, it's the next man in mentality that we have built. And we trust our guys and, and they trust us. And uh, we know that their preparation is, uh, is going to be such that they're ready to play. Yeah, for sure. And it seems to be getting better and better as the recruiting continues to build and build. Mason, anything jump out at you on the positive side so far? Yeah, the much improved running game. Even up until last year, the running game didn't look great. And against South Florida, each running back scored a touchdown. That's what you like to see. You pass the rock around a little bit. And Kyron Williams really breaking out as a, as a star. And he's still got three years of eligibility at Notre Dame, Todd. This could be a guy that we see running up and down the field for Notre Dame for time to come. So, uh I really like what I'm seeing from Kyron Williams so far. Yeah, they're getting a lot of work, and I'm going to get to it in a second here, but eight rushing touchdowns already, you know, uh, very impressive stuff. I suppose with that, Ian Book's taking some heat because he only has one touchdown pass to a wide receiver so far this season. That was Avery Davis in the Duke game. Some concern there a lot of people have. I mean, when you look at it, of the top four receivers, Joe Wilkins Jr. is the only wide receiver in that crew, and he's ranked number fourth. He leads the wide receiver group with four catches for 39 yards. He and Braden Lindsey, Lindsey has three catches, 34 yards, 
are the only Notre Dame wide receivers with 30-plus yards through receiving. Uh, Tommy Tremble leads the team. You mentioned Kyron Williams. He's second on the team. And Michael Mayer, freshman tight end, is third on the team. little bit of concern there with Book having only one touchdown pass and the wide receiver crew not really doing much, not getting targeted much, not getting open much. That's going to be something to watch there, Mason. I think they'll get it together. At this point, that position group's been a little bit of a disappointment. I think so, too. You'd like to see it all come together. It's kind of a catch-22, though, right? Right. Nobody's ever satisfied. So the much-improved running game using what many people are calling the nation's best offensive line, just running over people. But then you you want to see the ball being thrown down the field as well and using the speed of guys like Joe Wilkins and Braden Lindsey and then potentially seeing Kevin Austin come back, too. You'd like to see the ball thrown down the field. You have the speed to do so. But at the same time, you like to you like to see it running over guys as well. So uh, I think it's something that they're going to work on this upcoming week, and we'll see we'll see them throw the ball down the field against Florida State. Yeah, you're right, and there's no chance. There's no point in really forcing things in that. But at this point, the wide receivers have 11 catches for 110 yards through two games and the one touchdown. Uh, last year at this time, Ian Book had five touchdown passes to wide receivers. Any concerns on your end, Mason? I don't think there's any really concerns. Like I said, it's just. Uh, it's a heavy running game, and you're going to stick with that if you can and not taking risks down the field. But you should be able to tr- trust your fifth-year quarterback to throw the ball. So uh, if we don't see it improve in the next couple of weeks, I'll be concerned. But at the moment, uh, I'm liking where the running game's at. Yeah, you know, you have that offensive line, and they're using a lot of two and even three tight end sets. I like how they're using Tremble even as a fullback here. So you can tell Tommy Reese, the offensive coordinator, and Brian Kelly – they are very much committed to this running game, and you can certainly understand why with the work they're getting deep in that stable. And again, that's another position. We talked about depth just a second ago. Another position where if you lose some guys because of COVID or whatever, you have plenty more bodies to plug in there. You can almost do that with any position group on this team, save for quarterback. Obviously, you don't have a lot behind Ian Book, so you better keep him in big-time isolation but I don't think you can pick another position group, Mason, where you can't go two, three deep beyond the starters. Right, most definitely. Um, the only position that really stands out to me would probably be on the on the defensive side, defensive tackle. That that I think is a little bit lackluster. But you got some young guys there that just don't have the experience. There's a couple positions like that, but on the offensive side, as you mentioned, the, they've really worked on the depth, and you, you're confident in a lot of guys, including freshmen on that side of the ball. You mentioned Michael Mayer who is going to be an absolute monster. He's looked like a beast already, shedding tackles against Duke, look at making guys look like they're freshmen in high school. So uh, that'll be exciting to watch. You know, along that defensive line, you could probably shuffle guys around if you needed to position-wise because the Notre Dame coaches have already rotated in 11 different defensive linemen, so that's pretty impressive stuff. I want to move on here. I had a chance to catch up with Jordan Cornette. He was at Notre Dame between 2001 and 2005, a basketball player, obviously, a forward. Amazingly, Jordan Cornette still leads is the career leader for block shots at Notre Dame. I don't think too many people know that we get a kick out of that when you're talking about guys like LaFonso Ellis and some others that were here, uh, but Ellis left early, so or he would have that record. Uh, but Jordan Cornette, a good guy, he became the host of ACC Network's morning show. It's a football preview show. It's called The Huddle. A little weird having a basketball player doing a football show, but he's very talented at what he does, and he's doing a great job on this show. And it's a little bit ironic that Notre Dame joined the ACC the year Jordan Cornette begins hosting this show. How did this ACC gig kind of come about? How did you get approached about it? Various opportunities that I've been given over time, and I felt like in those opportunities, whether it was luck or being able to seize it with, you know, proving I can do the job, it kind of, it was the thing that kind of 
took real flight when I was, you know, doing, I was in Chicago, I was doing ESPN radio uh, while also hosting a morning show called The Jam on WCIU. So I was kind of doing like lifestyle, politics, pop culture, TV, morning show, while also having a sports fix with the radio side. So I was telling everybody I was essentially the, the homeless the homeless man, Michael Strahan, <laughs> instead of the poor man. And so with that, I think it, it drew a little bit more attention on a national level with ESPN. They had me doing some games and studio stuff that next year. I was able to essentially prove to them that, you know, there, there's a, a bigger role potentially for me under the company. And with that, they start, they thought, you know, Notre Dame guy, and, and that'd be an opportunity for me to flex a little bit more muscle under the ESPN umbrella and kind of uh, hopefully seize another opportunity to continue to grow. So they extended that offer. Yeah, it's pretty interesting, too, because you sort of come on board with Notre Dame being an ACC member. Who could have ever, ever seen that coming? It gives you a unique perspective, I suppose. Oh, yeah. Yeah, without question. And for me, Todd, I was doing, when they brought me on in the ACC realm, I was be a studio host and, and do a lot of basketball, obviously, um, in, that, in that initial start to it, which was last basketball season. And I was traveling, I was doing games as the lead commentator for the ACC basketball, which was great. I was doing studio stuff. I was hosting a little bit of football last year. And then uh, basically I told them after doing a little bit of football last year, a ton of basketball hosting and analyzing, I said, Hey, you know, I'd be interested in taking on full time the lead host role on Football Saturdays Network. Kind of just throw my name in the hat and said it'd be something I'd be interested in to kind of, you know, further grow a presence and, and, and to take on a little bit more to prove what I'm capable of. Because I've always saw myself as more of just a college basketball analyst. So they gave us some consideration, and I was offered this job. You know, before COVID really got a lot of steam, where we didn't know exactly what this was going to be and how it would affect our lives. So I knew I was stepping into the role before any potential conversations of Notre Dame joining as a football member in the ACC this year. So it was by pure luck. Jordan, I've always wanted to ask, is this a career path that you planned on following? Well, I, I always tell a story with Coach Bray, and we had just gotten our tails kicked. The next day, I woke up, and I got a text, Coach Bray wanted to see me. I don't think I lost the game for it. <laughs> and so I, I came in the next day, and Coach was like, hey, Jordan, you know, I love what you're bringing. I love how you're working. He's like, well, I'll tell you, if you could play the game as well as you give these post-game quotes, being all-American. So essentially, I think he was trying to fire me up. But I think more than anything, what it did, Todd, was reaffirm and reinforce to me that I have a real, genuine, and sincere interest in this business. Really good guy. I always enjoyed covering him, Mason. One of my favorites. I still text with him quite a bit, Jordan, all around. Good guy. Mason, we're about out of time. You have anything to add here? Uh, not a ton. Just continue to be on the lookout for more breaking news on blueandgold.com. Uh, Mike Singer and I always have the latest in recruiting. We're always on the pulse of recruiting, uh, as well as other things. I'm a staff writer as well, so I do some other things there. And, Ty, I know you've been busy. Uh, tell everybody what you've been up to. I'm doing a lot of uh, Olympic sports works, my column. I talk a lot about depth in the last couple columns and some of the things Mason and I addressed on the show. I have an Isaiah Foskey feature coming up as well, next edition. Got a chance to talk to his high school coach out there at powerful De La Salle High School near Oakland, California. So, yeah, a little bit of everything on this end, Mason. You can find me at Todd Burlage on Twitter. You can find him at Mason Plummer underscore. Folks, we'll talk to you all next week. Thanks for listening to this exclusive presentation of 1380 The Fan, the Blue Gold Report. 
And be sure to download the latest edition of the show wherever you download podcasts or go to 1380thefan.com. Podcasts by Federated Media. Podcasts by Federated Media.